The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. You join me here on the road, in the morning, back from a couple days out of the country, in which I returned to few, I want to call it a favorite Super Bowl, but a satisfying Super Bowl, watching the Cincinnati Bengals' hopes and dreams of the fans, players, coaches, executives, friends, family. Uh, go down the drain and lost. I know the Cincinnati Bengals moved to 0-3 in the Super Bowl, which is, it's a really good job if you think about it. Some people, some teams never even make it to the Super Bowl. And the Cincinnati Bengals have won, have made it now three times. Now three times in about 60-something years. You know, they haven't won any of them, but that's three more times than the Browns. So if you look at that percentage, it's extremely impressive. And I just think that needs to be stated for everybody. And we should celebrate that. And at a certain point, you know, you got to set your expectations in a realistic area. No, I'm kidding. Ah, honestly, it was a good game. The Rams beat uh, the Bengals. Obviously, the Bengals are stacked. Uh, they have an incredible team, incredible young team, and like $60 million in salary cap space. So if the Bengals can change their cheap ways, uh, the owners, the Browns, and they can find some people, the Bengals are going to be you know, killers for a while if they can maintain that. So I'm half-joking. It's Shock Floyd. I'm sitting here as a Steelers fan hoping that the Steelers can transition from Ben Roethlisberger and Kevin Colbert in that whole era and become successful. So right now, I'll take what I can get. But either way, Rams win the Super Bowl. I'm really pumped. I like that team for a lot of reasons. I think it's sort of redemption city in terms of having a lot of star players or coaches or the coach of Sean McVay who really – spent the, the past few years of their career raising the level of play of the team of, of the team around them and then getting criticized when they weren't able to take some of that lackluster talent uh, and actually win the Super Bowl with it. Whether that's you know Odell and, and with a puny New York team that's won like six games since he's been there. We know what's up with Cleveland and Baker or um, Sean McVay. You know, even getting to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff is an astounding accomplishment. Yeah, he got his, he definitely got whacked by Belichick in that last Super Bowl. You know, Jared Goff will not. But regardless, I think some guys are taking some heat, uh, especially Matt Stafford, for actually taking teams that shouldn't be in higher positions and, and bringing them there. And so you're thinking, oh, these all-star players are not that great. And then they get together on a good team in Los Angeles and immediately win the Super Bowl. So for me, as someone who loves football, someone who loves the team aspect of the game, I think that this victory for the Rams really proves that. It's not just the quarterback making people win or lose. Um, So I'll talk a little bit about that. They obviously are another team that wins the, well, really the first one 
obviously the Buccaneers did a little bit of this last year, but just this <laughs> ultimate gamble, the free agency gamble uh, narrative has been covered plenty in the media over the course of the entire season. And then the fact that it pays off is really fun because now we get to see the answer to the question, was it worth it? When this team almost inevitably <laughs> crumbles to the ground within the next few years and has to dig themselves out of a massive hole because they don't have a lot of high round draft picks. And if not a lot, I mean, like they literally don't, they can't draft for like half a decade. <laughs> And uh, we'll get to see, is it worth it? Was it worth it to get that one trophy in the trophy case? I tend to think it is, but, you know, with guys like Aaron Donald and Sean McVay, not so subtly suggesting that they might be moving on sooner rather than later. It's kind of a hilarious concept where you think these guys are down to to go all in because, yeah, I'm going to win the Super Bowl and then I'm going to get the hell out of here. Uh, It's an interesting concept. So, that was wild. Uh, obviously, the storylines of the Super Bowl were great with Joe Burrow elevating the Bengals, like a two-win team, a small market team, to a Super Bowl pretty much immediately upon getting there versus the glitz and glamour, whatever, whatever, L.A., they buy a lot of free agency guys. Um, cool storylines. The game itself, I thought was pretty good. I, I wouldn't say it was amazing. Obviously, anytime when you get to watch a game, where a quarterback, a veteran quarterback in particular, cements his legacy by leading a game-winning, super gutsy touchdown drive in the fourth quarter to win the Super Bowl. Anytime you get that, it's a good Super Bowl. Now, I'll say this. The Odell Beckham Jr. injury in the middle of the game changed the complexion of the whole game in a lot of different ways. Number one, I was just so bummed as a fan of Odell. I think, you know... He's a big star personality, but I really think he's gotten way too much crap, way more crap than he's deserved for not really doing much uh, bad in Cleveland where he was really silent the entire time. And people are like, oh, look at him, demanding a trade. Yeah, look, look what happened. He led the freaking Rams in touchdowns with Cooper Cup on the team, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, and the, the, the Browns have crumbled. It's not like he was complaining for the ball every single week just when it came time to be traded at the trade deadline. It made the most sense for him, or cut or whatever, uh, to get the hell out of there. It wasn't working. I don't, I don't know why they could categorize as diva. He wasn't making a scene. He didn't do a quarter of the things A.B. did on the Steelers, even before uh, the meltdown getting traded off the Steelers. So I think Odell's been sort of wrongly uh, characterized uh, just basically because of his fame for a long time. So it was nice to see him get that redemption. But when he got injured, you're so bummed for the guy because – he falls in that cat. He's like that sort of Bo Jackson type where there are a few megastar athletes who just, their bodies are like a fine microchip. They can get injured. And uh, sometimes they tend to pile up. So first off, you're thinking that, oh, my God, the guy went through so much just to get to the Super Bowl. He's playing incredible. He has a, yeah, wide-open catch, but then a beautiful vintage Odell Beckham Jr. grabbing the ball over the head of some puny, insignificant defender. Who was that? Who was that? Who did he lost? Oh, yeah, Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton, the traitor. Oh, Mike Hilton taunting Steelers fans, and he came back to Pittsburgh. Mike Hilton absolutely getting mossed, immortalized. He'll always have that, which is nice. He'll always be able to be on NFL replays, getting the ball plucked uh, um, out of the air right above his head by a Hall of Fame talent receiver. I know Dell Beckham, Jr. That was nice. So Adele makes that gorgeous catch. And so 
you think on one hand, well, at least he had a major impact on the game, scoring a beautiful touchdown. But, geez, this sucks. The guy got this far, and now he's not going to get to finish the game. And after that, it changed the complexion of the whole contest in general. I thought after the Odell injury, the game just got sloppy. It was basically the Bengals' line falling apart and letting Joe Burrow get sacked every other time he dropped back. And then the Rams, who were at that point down their second, third, and fourth receivers. Because it wasn't just Odell. Obviously, they lost Robert Woods and Tyler Higby earlier. Uh, Not in the game, but in the season and in the playoffs. And so you're down to Cooper Cup, who now I'm feeling guilty that I haven't even really mentioned his name except for briefly until this point in the podcast, the guy just can never get any credit, just completed the best receiver assist, uh, season in the history of the NFL um, when you add in the fact that he had this incredible playoff run, an unbelievable, all, you know, gutsy all-time Super Bowl performance where he gets MVP, he deserved it. Um, but you got Cooper Cup out there and then a bunch of fourth and fifth string receivers. And the Rams, they took the pee in, man. They tucked it in. They put on some sunscreen. They closed their eyes. They blinked repeatedly. They just, they freaked out. They started running the ball for one yard a carry. It seemed like Sean McVay really tightened up when Odell went out, and the defense was able to focus on Cooper Cup more. And they went, I think they went out three, three and out, like three times in a row, like five punts in a row, and the game just got sloppy. And then it was, of course, highlighted by the end of the game situation where the Rams were near the goal line and the refs who hadn't really been calling anything all game start calling penalties left and right. I'll say this. I've been glad to hear in the days since the Super Bowl that a lot of the national consciousness is um, in line with my thinking. I don't know. That's a weird way to phrase it. But, like, I'm glad to hear that people are digesting this the same way. The refs, it, it cancels itself out, man, with that horrific... <laughs> One of the worst offensive pass interferences we've seen, just in any game. But by uh, Higgins to score the 85-yard touchdown for the Bengals earlier in the game uh, by grabbing Jalen Ramsey by the face mask and basically trying to twist his his head off like a bottle cap and then walking in the end zone for an 85-yard touchdown, that was unbelievable that they let them have that, especially in a game where, yeah, Joe Burrow completed a beautiful 46-yard pass to Jamar Chase, but the Bengals couldn't mount any drives. I mean, that touchdown, that was so significant. That was really the only time where they, they busted out in a major way. So it's annoying that the rest has that much of an impact on scoring plays, but I don't think that the Bengals got screwed in any way. Just You know, that happened towards the end of the game, uh, so it's more visible, whatever, but... That just feeds into how sloppy the end of the game actually was. And so from an actual entertainment standpoint, and speaking of entertainment, I'll talk about the halftime show a little bit too. From an entertainment standpoint, the game was okay. It was just fun that it came down to the final place. And then it gets um, finished out by an NFL Mount Rushmore player. You know, obviously you probably have Tom Brady up there, but Aaron Donald at this point it could <laughs> – legitimately be on a statue of the four most influential NFL players. And I'm not, I'm not saying he is, but or isn't definitively. But he definitely deserves to be in that conversation. You know, well may, uh, you know, actually be on that fictional mountain sculpture. But the fact that he closes the game out with two incredible plays, Joe Burrow actually sort of 
miracle he gets the ball off in that last play. Otherwise, it would have ended with an Aaron Donald sack. Runs down the field, points to the finger like he did in the championship game, points into his ring finger. Iconic video. That tackle and that celebration will be shown forever. Uh, you really don't need a Super Bowl, in my mind, to justify your career because so much needs to go right. Like Aaron Donald could have 50 tackles in that game and they lose. And for some reason, oh, well, Aaron Donald hasn't won the Super Bowl, so we think of him differently when really it was out of his hands. You know, Tom Brady losing to the Eagles when he throws for 500 freaking yards in the Super Bowl. They go, oh, Tom Brady lost that Super Bowl. Well, no, the team lost that Super Bowl. He was incredible in that game, right? But it is cool and it, to get that closure for Aaron Donald. He gets that legitimacy of winning that Super Bowl, which is a massive deal. And then is super emotional in the post-game press conference, which is cool to see. You see how much the guy cares about it. Uh, hopefully he does not retire because clearly he has a number of years left in the tank. And it will be interesting to see the Rams try and run as much of this team back as they can because, to me, when you hear Sean McVay talking about, or, you know, there's a lot of rumors that he may pull the John Gruden and hop over to TV where the schedule is much easier for him. He can be around his family because the guy's a psychopath. I think he's basically in the lab with a pen and a pad at all hours of the day and night working out plays, being a genius. Probably doesn't spend much time around that squad. I think he's married now. I know he was engaged uh, for a while when they recruited Matt Seth or something like that. But either way, looking for a little work-life balance. He suggests that a few times, although maybe that's just a contract negotiation tactic for him with the with the Rams. Lambs, players. But I'd be surprised if he went to stop here. Like, this guy has all-time coach potential on him. He became a coach at 30. He made the Super Bowl pretty much immediately. He has won another one. You just want to win one? If you win one Super Bowl, there, there's a long list of people who we don't even name. I would think that he would want to win multiple Super Bowls. And I'd be surprised if that competitive edge didn't carry him there. And I'd be surprised if Aaron Donald, who also just has an insane amount of dedication, work ethic, and time commitment put into his greatness. I, I get why he would want to stop. You know, once you win the Super Bowl, that'd be a cool way to go out. Take some wear and tear off your body. I think it's a little different for the player, but I would hope that those guys would want to run it back and try and win another one. So we'll see how that pans out. But I think, I guess the last thing I'll say, so legacy cementing, I have so many thoughts on Matt Stafford and the Hall of Fame debate that's going on about him now after the game and how so many people are contradicting themselves with that. But, look, that final drive by him, that was phenomenal. They didn't really, like, they didn't cut him loose, by the way, too. So I don't really think it was Stafford's fault that they were in that position. He started off the game, and it looked like he was going to have an all-time Super Bowl quarterback game. He was like 11 of 12 for 130 yards. Touchdown, he's fantastic. Then he throws the one boneheaded interception where he scrambles around, points the guy deep, and then underthrows it in the end zone, and Jesse Bates picks it off. Look, that's not a backbreaker. You know Stafford's going to throw a pick. Or even similarly, if Ben were in the Super Bowl, you'd think, like, he'll probably throw, like, one interception. But you hope that he throws the, t- the three TDs and 300-plus yards, which Ben would usually do in those type of situations. But... I didn't have a huge problem with that interception, with it being earlier in the game and the Rams being so aggressive. I didn't like the actual quality of the throw itself, and it is sort of like blown head, like, oh, Matt Stafford trying to be a gunslinger. And then the other one wasn't really his fault, right? But 
besides that, he started off so hot, and then they just put the ball on the ground for two quarters, and he didn't really have the opportunity to try and do his thing because the Rams were so scared of messing it up. But that last drive was so gutsy. He's fanning back on the pocket. Lines protecting well, but he had to be pinpoint with all those throws to Cup, and Cup was amazing, holding onto the ball when he's getting crushed repeatedly. But now there's that replay of, really, I think one of the two or three biggest plays of the game was the incredible no-look pass he had to Cooper Cup in between four people on that, like, skinny post route down the middle of the field to move the chains, keep the drive going, and get, like, a 25-yard pickup when, really, they were just trying to pick the Rams apart five to eight yards at a time. That play really opened the game up, and now you see all the post-game angles where the man is not even looking at Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's barely even made his break, and he's throwing his ball ahead of three or four defenders into the middle of the hole, and it's just caught perfectly in stride. Obviously, a great job by Cooper Cup as well. But I think that drives an all-time QB. Like, you can't say anything about Matthew Stafford ever again. I know he has Cooper Cup on that drive. He has nobody else. Nobody. There are no other players who are really starting, not even starting caliber NFL players. So everybody knows the ball's going to Cup. And they were all over him, but he was firing perfect passes to this guy every single time. He knew it was put-up-or-shut-up time, and he delivers an unbelievable drive. And I almost think that we're not talking about it enough. It was very Patriots-esque, where it wasn't some Patrick Mahomes on a scramble around the first field and then complete a ball on fourth and 17. It was, no, he just forced the ball in there underneath, made a couple of plays down the middle of the field when he had to, and then made the nice touchdown throw on the fade over to NFL's most hated player, I guess, Eli Apple. And Cooper Cup made an awesome catch on that fade. And I think that that was incredible to see him cement his legs that way, and I was, I was pumped to see it. So may as well get into the, the Matthew Stafford legacy thing real quick. And here's my thought on that. You know, people are looking at his stats, and he looks as he came in the league, they're extremely comparable to Bench. They're almost identical. It's crazy. You're thinking, okay, Ben's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Everyone pretty much agrees on that. But there was this idea before Matt Stafford won this Super Bowl that you wouldn't even consider Matt Stafford for the Hall of Fame. And now he's won the Super Bowl, and okay, well, he's in there. And there's some people who are just saying, oh, this is such recency bias. If you want to put Matt Stafford in, I guess you got to put Matt Ryan in, Eli Manning, and Philip Rivers. And I've seen that opinion, and I just, that is, the irony of that is tremendous. It's so narrative-focused. Matt Stafford compared to Eli, Phillip, Rivers, and Matt Ryan, those guys have never been in the same category as him. He is so much more physically talented than those guys and has carried so many more teams as opposed to what those guys did. It's not even close. And I feel like when you talk about physical talent, everybody assumes, oh, he's a Jay Cutler, where he has the physical talent of Robert Griffin III, but he didn't make good on it. That, that's not true at all. The guy carried the Lions. The Lions. Not just the worst NFL franchise, but arguably the worst franchise in American sports. Like, the other worst franchises have been sold by this point. The mediocrity of that team cannot be understated. It is like playing for the Browns. For, you know, for Steelers fans being familiar with that, for 12 years. They shouldn't have even been mildly competitive, and this guy has taken there. Who can you name as good players on the Lions outside of Sue and Calvin Johnson? Two players. 
in over a decade. So what you're saying when Matt Stafford, he hasn't won the Super Bowl, you got to blame him for those wins, it's insane because you're implying that he underachieved with the Lions. Is that your implication? They should have won a lot more games than Detroit. They had some amazing teams, and, and you know, it was really Matt Stafford. This isn't Kirk Cousins with a loaded Vikings team. This is a guy taking a team that blows every year and putting them in playoff contention. He's a one-man band that way, and it's been unbelievable. Also, you're saying, look, dude, his stats are very similar to Ben. Do I think Ben is better? Yeah, I do. I think that... I'm, well, of course, I'm biased, but I think that Ben's scrambling and playmaking ability, even in his, you know, older years when he was still shuffling around the pocket, I think that's just a different thing. And, and Ben's level of clutchness is uh, in that super tiny circle, and uh, you know, but it is what it is. But <laughs> so, do you think that if Ben were in Detroit, they would have won a bunch of playoff games? That's a huge stretch, man. Like, he would have had to carry that team to these playoff wins. And when Ben won his Super Bowls, we know that he was a fantastic player. But he was in that group of, excuse me, uh, Tom Brady's first three Super Bowls and Russell Wilson's first two appearances where he's a really good quarterback. And people actually underrate those Super Bowl appearances. People try and go back and make it seem like, oh, Ben was carried to the – no, he wasn't carried to the Super, the Super Bowls. If you look at the playoff runs, who was the best player on the team? It was Ben Roethlisberger every playoff. He was actually getting them there. But the team was structured around the defense. I mean, he throws one touchdown pass in the second win and zero touchdown passes in the first win. And this is annoying for me to even talk about this because when you're coming down to stats, you can't quantify how big the, the game flipping, the field flipping plays were and all these things have been. But the implication is this. They were team wins. Now, it wasn't Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, who are two of the only ones we've seen, or Tom Brady getting into the Super Bowl and losing a few of them when they were offensive focused, where the quarterback is just dragging his team to the Super Bowl. If they had made it in the Killer Bees era, yes, we would have said, of course, Ben has star talent around him, but this quarterback is, is making the entire team go and making up for a terrible defense. It was a team victory and a team loss, even when they got to the Packers' Super Bowl, that got the Steelers there. So, it's insane to insinuate that Matthew Stafford was at fault for the Lions not winning a Super Bowl while he was there. And they didn't win one single playoff game. I know that's the, that's the same there, right? But it's the Lions, man. I'm not talking about the Bengals, who even before Joe Burrow have had a lot of decent teams. It's the Lions. You can't even name 10 former Lions who are worth anything. They're historically bad, and sure, maybe um, Matt Stafford should have played better in the one or two playoff games they played in, but Ben and Tom and Rodgers, they all have the same thing. Like, the playoffs are hard. It's not like there's almost no quarterbacks who are just lighting it up the whole time, right? So I think that that narrative is kind of insane, and I think that Matthew Stafford is actually much closer, has always been much closer to a Hall of Fame quarterback than we anticipate. That no-look throw in the playoff game, or in the Super Bowl there, He's been doing that for over 10 years. Aaron Rodgers has pointed that out in interviews. Dan Orlovsky has pointed that out. But we just don't want to give him any credit. So now we're looking back and just blaming this guy for a decade in which I think he actually overachieved in a lot of ways. 
number one film coming to like a winless, a literally winless team um, and doing a great job. So I think when you get caught in that, it's a little emotional. It's like, oh, this guy, oh, yeah, he can't be good. He can't be good. They didn't win. Well, he doesn't play defense. He doesn't play line. The guy went 10 years without a 100-yard rusher or something insane. I'm telling you that the, the media, it's not mediocrity. It's historic ineptitude in Detroit. And then just to strengthen my point, the second he gets on the team, that is good. That has a Super Bowl roster. The second he does it, 4-0 in the playoffs wins the Super Bowl. Very well could have gotten an MVP. Leaves the game when he drives for the Super Bowl. It's, a, it's an opening shut case, man. I mean, if he falls off here at Earth in the next couple of years, sure. But I think people are being way, way too narrative influenced. And you just have to realize Matt Stafford has always been extremely good. And the Super Bowl is completely based off of how good is your team. I have only seen two Super Bowls, one recently, where it was really the quarterback who dragged him there. It was Aaron Rodgers versus the Steelers, and it was Patrick Mahomes versus the 49ers. Every other Super Bowl that's been won, and yes, including every Patriots Super Bowl, definitely the Bucs Super Bowl, there's probably five to seven quarterbacks who could have won on that team. You don't think Peyton Manning could have won some of those Patriots Super Bowls or Aaron Rodgers could have won some of those Patriots Super Bowls or Ben, for that matter? On the Buccaneers last year, you don't think that Patrick Mahomes would have won it? On this year, you don't think the Rams would have won with Josh Allen? Or You know, so, like, there's a list of, a short list of quarterbacks who can win the Super Bowl when you have a truly great team. And I think... Zapper has been on that list more than we'd like to realize just because he's been fighting away in um, anonymity, that's how you say it, for a long time. So I'm not saying he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but I'm saying I think people have to realize this guy's much better than he is, just like Cam Newton, who's a dude who never played with a real NFL wide receiver after Steve Smith that first year and dragged his team to, to the Super Bowl dragged his team to playoff win, but we just want to blame the fact that he couldn't be a 22-man team on him when you, you watch Tom Brady win the Super Bowl by throwing three freaking interceptions in the NFC Championship game, having three Hall of Fame receivers in their prime and a pro bowler as the fourth one in Godwin, the number one defense, the number one offensive line in Tampa Bay, the defense that shut down one of the best offenses we have ever seen in Kansas City. And then, it's Brady, man. He just drags the team to the Bowl. No, Brady's amazing, and he was great that year. And there were a list of other guys who could have won that Super Bowl. I think we can confidently say right now, Matt Stafford has been on that list. And people just don't watch Lions games. So you assume, like, well, I know everything I need to know about Matthew Stafford, having never really watched him play extensively. So I've always hated that narrative, and I feel like this, you know, for him, for Odell, for McVeigh, really solidified that. Like, it's a team game. So that leads me into my next point about quarterbacks and how they're judged and how narratives affect that when we talk about Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow, I think, is an interesting case because he reminds me so much of Tom Brady in the fact that Joe Burrow is without a doubt a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. He's incredible. Again, it's about watching what they do and what they're asked to do. Third most 
sack quarterback in a season in history or third, third most bonus Super Bowl or something like that. 70 sacks this year when you include the playoffs. Seven sacks in the Super Bowl, nine sacks in the, the Tennessee game, and it's not him just running around there forcing sacks. It's just the dam breaking and them having a horrific offensive line. And the throws he makes, the composure he shows, his pocket movement, his accuracy, especially downfield, He's a top five quarterback already. He's incredible. It's not, you know, top six or seven, you know, whatever, Sean Watson is being included in this discussion. But I also think he's a top five quarterback who's currently being a little overrated, where he didn't play that great in the playoffs. Honestly, he didn't play that great in a lot of games in the regular season. They had two, they have two wins and one loss, two wins and one loss. So they, and, and I don't actually hold that against Joe Burrow, like saying, Oh, he's overrated. This is a, a mirage in terms of that. He's not that great. That's like, no, he's great. And he's in his second freaking year, and they have a terrible offensive line. And he's doing amazing for that circumstance. But he's being treated like he's Patrick Mahomes, where it's a one man army. And I know people out there say, oh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Well, of course, you have to have receivers. But when you watch Patrick Mahomes, so much about their offense is the fact that they can call these insane plays due to his arm talent. And then him running around or throwing sidearm or doing crazy things and making unbelievably accurate throws, which being a like a LeBron James type athlete. So of course he has help, but that being said, I mean no running game. But that being said, Joe Burrow is getting treated that way. And I don't think he was that impressive in the playoffs and I don't I guess let me rephrase that. Like I thought he did a good job working with what he had. It reminds me of Tom Brady where it's like well, yeah, Tom Brady didn't always have Randy Moss, so he couldn't just be dropping back to the bombs all the time. He had to play the game. He had to throw a swing pass to James White or Kevin Falk or out in the flat to Julian Edelman and just dissect team. And Joe Burrow, I mean, we all know, he's going to get sacked if he takes too much time to throw the ball back there. So he's playing within his means. He's not turning it over. He's taking big shots when he can, and he's playing well. But for some reason... We think it's the Aaron Rodgers playoff one. And he didn't play that great. And honestly, you know, he shouldn't have had the long touchdown to Higgins. You could argue that should have been actually an interception. And I don't mind that attempt. You know, he's throwing to an amazing jump ball guy one-on-one down the field. So I don't even hold that against him. Clearly it worked out. An 85-yard touchdown. But the guy dresses like like (laughs) the way he dresses where everybody loves his is a gaudy wardrobe. To me, you know, I'm a little different when it comes to the, the, the fashion judging of the current fashion. Like, to me, it looks like they look like costumes. They look like Halloween costumes. Goofy. Goofy stuff. Goofy glasses. Goofy suits. Not looking slick. But people love it. But when Cam Newton did that stuff, they hate it. When he talks extremely cocky, they love it. When somebody else does you know, it, it just sort of depends. I guess, you know, they loved it when Baker Mayfield did it until it backfired. But I'm not a hater of Joe Burrow. I just hate watching this happen again where they, the, the media, the because the media really influences it for the national consciousness, the way that they make these segments and make these social media posts. And he's being propped up right now like a Josh Allen, and he's not that yet. I think he, he could he could be, and he's definitely well on his way. And it's hard for me to say this opinion without making it sound like I 
and like underrating him, but I guess just the worship for him is so understandable because the story is so good and the fact that he really did single-handedly turn around the the the, the Bengals. And I mean, they lucked out with the circumstance of getting Jamar Chase there. It was a massive part of that too, but Joe Burrow is inarguably a top quarterback, so he turns that team around. Even the fact that he, he got unfairly benched in college and under and overlooked all along the way, he is easy to root for that way. I am just intrigued that he's being propped up like he's doing Josh Allen things when the playoffs didn't really happen that way. And, and so many people ask the question, have you ever seen, have you ever seen a quarterback play behind that terrible of an offensive line in a Super Bowl he had no chance? Um, the answer is, literally last year, we just watched it happen. In the most recent Super Bowl that happened, there are a lot of Super Bowls. There is like, I don't know, 60 or something. I have no idea what number they're on now. In the very most recent one, we saw that. With Patrick Mahomes running for his life the entire game. And if you rewatch that game, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. He would just go on a run, dive, full extension, throw like horizontal to the ground, throw a laser beam 40 yards into the end zone that would crank off of the receiver's face mask. Literally. That happened. There's a bunch of those plays. So that's the difference to me. Where, yeah, Patrick Mahomes wasn't perfect in that game, but Tyreek Hill's dropped touchdown pass. Travis Kelsey, I forgot who, who had the face mask play, if it was Williams running back or something like that. But, like, you could argue when you look back at their game with Patrick Mahomes last year that he single-handedly kept them in the game, and they could have had a chance at least to keep it closer just because of this one guy. Because of his scrambling and throwing ability. And that's why I think... You're almost splitting hairs with Joe Burrow and a Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, but I do think we need to recognize that. And I'm just interested to see that story from Joe Burrow. And I probably spent way too much time on this because I think that there's a great chance that the Bengals come to their senses and spend all that $60 million they have salary cap space. I actually do think Joe Burrow and the Bengals could be back in the Super Bowl really soon. You were seeing this thing happen where – you know, a guy makes it in his second year, and you assume they're going to make it back. And now we know, since Aaron Rodgers and Ben haven't made it back particularly, you may never make it back again. It is just so hard to win the Super Bowl. The Patriots have distorted everybody's uh, vision on what it takes, on how likely it is to make it back. Everybody knows the insane list of quarterbacks in the AFC. So you got Joe Burrow, and like, wow, they're going to be so good. Well, I guess there's this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy who are just as good, if not better than him. It's going to be so hard for them to make it back, but I do think they're actually structured in a more favorable way than a lot of these teams because they have Joe Burrow on the rookie deal, because they have Jamar Chase in the rookie deal. They're so young, they'll be able to keep Higgins or Boyd, you know, whatever they decide to do with that. The defense is interesting because they don't have superstars, but they it was really a defensive team in the playoffs, which again leads back to my Joe Burrow narrative that, yes, definitely is the most important guy, but when you look at why they got that far, it's because they had a full team, which is so rare in the NFL right now. And I just, you know, it's important for people to understand that. But they have so much money, and if they nail a couple more of these drafts, they actually could make it back. Whereas with Josh Allen in in Buffalo, even though he might be a better player, I, like, it, their team is sort of structured 
where he has to go supernova every game for them to win. It just takes so much. Like, Joe Mixon is so much better than any running back they have there. Stephon Diggs is great for the Bills. He's not as young as, um, you know, any of the receivers on the on the Bengals, although I think he'll still be good for a little while. But it's just the point is, like, they they have nobody after that. The Bengals have a lot more than the Bills have. And even with the Chiefs, you just wonder, like, how long can you keep this run up with Travis Kelsey's, like, 32? So I guess when I just look around, the Bengals actually do, I think, have a very realistic shot of making it back uh, somewhat soon. It's just going to depend on how they draft and how they spend in free agency. And then, of course, the, the, the injury luck. That's the main thing. So all in all, I actually thought it was a really good Super Bowl because it showed a lot of those uh, narrative-busting uh, storylines, which is cool. And it'll be interesting to see where these two teams go moving forward here. I think that the halftime show was pretty sweet, right? I see a lot of people calling it the best ever. I don't know. Like, it's hard to say. The Michael Jackson one's so iconic, and it sort of started the the thing of the massive performative uh, style of – the Super Bowl halftime show in this sense. But you're splitting hairs. I think it was a great performance. It was awesome. And I think the reason why it was good is because it was simple. Like, the set was a little goofy at first. And, you know, Dr. Dre pretending like he's producing on, like, a, some sort of styrofoam <laughs> mixing board there. But, uh, and then, you know, 50 hanging from the ceiling looking a little bloated. <laughs> it was a little goofy. Obviously, a throwback to the In the Club video. I think my age group and the age group above me is thrilled with this because these are all these hits from like when we were growing up. Um, and it was awesome. But I think why it was so good was because it was simple and they didn't try all the set changes like they tried with the, the weekend, which is pretty cool. But sometimes they get a little insane with that. Like, I was so disappointed with Justin Timberlake's second halftime show after the Man of the Woods tour. I love Justin Timberlake, big fan. And uh, I just thought that it, they they did they tried to do way too much in that. They changed the set so many times. He only did like 15 seconds of each song, and they were weird, like band, live band versions, so you could never really sort of get momentum on any one of the hits. Whereas I thought they did a great job with all the performers this time, letting them, uh, you know, sing for long enough where you actually get the feel for the songs. I also think these hits are like I like I'm definitely a fan of the weekend as well, but it's just it takes a while to get to the level of mega hit that fifty cent and Snoop and Dre and Eminem and Kendrick and Ray J. Blige and all these people had. Um so the the songs are so damn famous that everybody of all age groups are gonna get into them. Also the songs were coming out in the pre streaming era, so there were just literally less songs on the charts. So songs were bigger and more ubiquitous, right? Um, and so I thought that it was simple, and that's what was great about it. And the other thing I love is that it was so L.A.-centric, which was also cool about the, the Miami Super Bowl with Shakira and J-Lo, who obviously they have massive hits, but I I don't think it's quite as massive as as some other performers who have played. But what made it cool was that it was so distinctly Miami. And that's what I think was cool about this halftime show is so distinctly L.A. And I'd love to see, um, you know, Super Bowl focus on that forward. Hell, you know, I live in Houston. Houston would have an unbelievable Super Bowl. The amount of pop stars from Houston from, you know, Beyonce and 
and uh, Travis Scott. I mean, there's Million Lizzo, like so Megan Thee Stallion. Everybody's from Houston. <laughs> you could have ZZ Top pop up there at some point, you know, playing in the background band. I would hope that the city's um, halftime shows are reflected in in the performance that they choose. So I thought it was awesome when you're saying all time, like whatever, sure, I think it's in there. Is it definitively the greatest one? I don't know, dude. I think that's definitely recency bias. Like, I'm not even this massive Katy Perry fan, and you even look back at that. Of course, they have the, the, the left shark and all that thing, but that was a killer halftime show. Even, like, Coldplay did a good job. I know we laugh at the Rolling Stones being an old man band, but, like, they're great. I mean, I think we're over those type of performances now where they just do the same. Oh, Bruno Mars' performance, the first one, was out of this world. So I think that it was a great halftime show, and I just hope that they stick to those two principles of being simple and being, like, city-specific. Also, my favorite part was that one of the greatest modern artists was on stage, Anderson Pock playing drums for Eminem, L.A., well, not L.A., I guess Oxnard, California, artist, absolute killer, and I was out of my mind when you saw Eminem start his performance and it pans over and you see this happy, unbelievably stylish, talented drummer, and who is it? It's instantly recognizable, Anderson frickin' Pac on the drums. So cool to see an artist like that get to play on the Super Bowl, quintessential California artist, in real close with Kendrick and Dre and all those guys and they let him put his name across the drum set. That was amazing. Big victory for, like, artist, artist kind of dudes and girls up there. Um, so cool, and I really enjoyed it. So I got to run right now. Looking forward to getting back into studio quality recordings next week. Thank you guys for following along. Pumped for the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Very excited for the Bengals not winning the Super Bowl. Can't lie to you. We'll be excited to talk all about... Um, Malik and all the different uh, Steelers prospects coming up in the coming weeks. Until next time, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.